if you are joining us for the first time, we've been going through a series on some of the key doctrines of our faith. And as you heard last week, we looked at the doctrine of God as creator. And then today we want to look at the problem of sin and evil within our world. If, if God is good and he created everything as good, then what has happened to our world? And there are many theories about these things around the world, but in our modern, Western, secular society, there are, there are two predominant worldviews. And the first one, I'll bring up our next slide for us, comes from a very notable um, modern atheist, uh, Richard Dawkins, much quoted in churches today, mostly because of all of the atheists that I have ever known or read. Um, Richard Dawkins is a very committed atheist. He he understands atheism, and he has outlined the doctrines probably better than any other atheist that I've ever known. And so when he looks at what we call evil in the world, he says the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless Indifference. In other words, Richard Dawkins says we're only DNA. Uh, in another one of his books, he says we're just chemical DNA and we dance to the music of our DNA. Therefore, there is no such thing as good or evil. Uh, we only call things evil that don't work on our behalf, and we call things good if they work for us. But the whole notion of good and evil is a delusion. It doesn't exist. But against that um, idea and uh, is the Bible reading that we've just heard, if we can bring that up. And I should just mention that the notion of good versus evil is not just something we see in the Bible, but because the Judeo-Christian worldview has so influenced our society, if you watch Disney movies, for example, you see the way this, this worldview has crept in. What is every Disney movie about? Ultimately, a battle between good and evil. And this is where it comes from. It's a biblical worldview. We just heard it read, but I'll just point it out again. For the creation waits in eager expectations for the children of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration and this bondage and decay, and we yearn for freedom as children of God. In other words, this passage just speaks, it's, it sheds light on the first reading that we, that we heard. Evil came into the world, brought about temptation, which brought about sin, which brought about curse. And as people who still bear the image of God, just like sick people want to get well, we, we are groaning. And in fact, the whole creation is groaning, wanting to be set free from the bondage of sin and decay and death. And so even people who aren't Christians can look at the world and, aside from just seeing arbitrariness, they can say, that person did something, and that's pure evil. They didn't just, you know, like an animal eating another animal for food. There was no reason for that. It was senseless, horrible evil. And in our best moments, we want justice to prevail. In our best moments, we want to see peace rather than war. And there is something inside of us that is yearning to see this 
fallen world restored. And I think every Disney movie around has, you know, this idea that, and they lived happily ever after. after. That's what we want. And these are the two prevailing worldviews. Clearly, you know, for myself, I, the world that I observe has exactly the properties that we would expect if we were created good, fell under a curse, and are yearning for salvation. So that's the worldview I'm going to put to you, but it does, have, it does bring along a really big problem with it. If we can just have our next slide. Just a little bit of review. Um, we learned uh, through Genesis that there is one God who is the creator of heaven and earth. We don't believe in a dualistic world um, where there are these two good and evil forces. We believe in one God who created everything. And if we can have our next slide. We also learned that God is good. And he, at each stage of creation, he looked on what he made and he said it is good. And then on, at the end, he looked at the whole of the creation and he proclaimed it to be very good. And it was very good because a very good God made it. And we were told God is light, and in him there is no darkness. But if that's the case, then we're left with this question, where did evil come from? It's just one of the great, what they call apologetic questions of, that faces our faith. If God is good, then why is there so much evil in the world? And while Genesis itself doesn't spell this out for it, there are actually signs in the book of Genesis of where evil came from. So today we're going to be looking at the problem of evil and sin as different things, but evil pre-existed human sin. And there are signs in Genesis that at the time that humanity was created, that evil had already come into being. Let me just kind of show you a few examples of that. In Genesis, it doesn't actually start with nothing. There are verses in the Bible that said God created everything out of nothing. But what's interesting is that in Genesis 1, we begin with a formless, chaotic darkness. You know, it said the earth was formless and void, and there was darkness over everything. And if you notice that God only calls the light good, he doesn't call darkness good. And then later, when we get into the New Testament in the book of John, God has clearly made these analogies of the darkness representing evil and the light representing God. So in some sense, there are clues that perhaps that darkness is not just like darkness of light, and I mean day and night, but there is already perhaps this darkness that exists in the world. And then we note that in Genesis 2, um, before we even get into the fall, there are two trees, one of the tree of life and one that is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, how can you have the knowledge of evil if evil does not already exist? And again, before we actually get to the stage where Adam and Eve disobey God, we find that the serpent, who clearly represents Satan, slithers into the garden and begins to tempt Adam and Eve, who have not yet sinned, um, to sin. So evil exists. And then you might have heard at the end of the first reading that God placed this cherubim, these angels in front of the garden. And later on when we get to Genesis chapter 6, we get this very curious passage that speaks of another kind of angel. These angels that broke their boundaries 
and came and had improper relationships with the people on earth. Like they were called the Nephilim, and we get the sense that these demonic beings began to enter into league with humanity and kind of spur along uh, the evil in the world. So we get these, already there are these good and bad spiritual beings that exist in Genesis as well. So evil is already um, a problem, but what Genesis doesn't tell us precisely, other books of the Bible, and specifically Revelation is probably one of the best texts, begins to spell out um, what where evil came from. If we can just have our next slide, I'm going to read to you um, the fuller text that this comes from, but Revelation 12 kind of tells the whole story of, of creation and fall, but puts it into spiritual terms. So in Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 7, John looks and he says, Then I looked and I saw that war broke out in heaven, and Michael um, and his angels fought against the dragon, who represents Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back against Michael and the good angels. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. These are the angels we call the demons. And then we pick up in verse 12. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you, and he is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. And so we have some of these New Testament verses that help us to understand that there was another fall that preexisted the human fall. It happened in the heavenlings, and it was the angels who rebelled against God and fell and came to the earth and began to wreak havoc on the earth as well. So before we move on to the issue of sin, if we can just go on to the next slide, there's some unique things when we look at the fall of the angelic realm, of the spiritual realm, because it looks as though this fall was final. And complete. In other words, as humans, we seek for forgiveness and redemption. But it seems like because these angels saw God face to face in his full glory and they knew who he was, they weren't deceived. As in Genesis 3, they entered into out and out rebellion against God and their fall is permanent and complete. And you can see this in a number of ways. Let me just point out some things. So, for example, You remember in Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, again, he confronts the serpent in the wilderness. And we know the serpent knows he is the son of God. He knows he's talking to God in the flesh, but he tries to lead even God's own son into sin. Um, He even says to God's own son, you bow down and worship me. So great is his pride that he looks at God in the flesh and says, you bow down and worship me. And then at the point of Judas' betrayal, we're told in Luke that Satan entered into him. And so the whole driving force of Christ's crucifixion is Satan saying, I am going to destroy God's son. I remember in the movie Pretty Pretty Woman, at one stage she says, you know, I sometimes wish that God and Satan would just get together and work it all out. And 
That's not the biblical worldview. You don't want compromise because Satan is fully evil and God is fully good. And we don't need gray. Um, Satan is evil and there's no hope of redemption. He's called the roaring lion. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then this quote on the right side of the screen comes from Jesus. He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, how do you know that Satan is lying? He opens his mouth. Um, there's everything about him is all against God and for evil, and there's no hope for any redemption. But the next slide we bring up, we need to understand that that doesn't mean that there is equal and opposite forces when it comes to good and evil. God still has power and reigns not through evil, but over evil. So just one uh, well-known passage, it comes from Job. It talks about how one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered to the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. In other words, Satan still reports to God, and he still has his boundaries set for him, and he is not free to do whatever he wants to do. And if you um, look at other passages, um, such as Daniel and all of that, you can see the way that the demonic forces are at work, and yet God is sovereign over those forces. So in other words, if we can just go to our next slide, the book of Ephesians tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness. Um, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. So this is the biblical worldview, that this is not the struggles we face daily are not just physical struggles. Um, as Christians, we need to understand there are spiritual forces at work behind all of this, and we are wrestling against these spiritual forces. So then that raises the next question as we turn to the question of sin. Then why in the world does God allow evil to enter into his good world? I'm just going to remind you as we're halfway through, if you do have questions, we're going to take them straight after the talk and before we enter into um, communion time. So make sure you text those through between now and the end. Yeah, so why did God allow what he knew to be evil to enter in? to his good creation. Well, there are, again, signs that God is not trying to be tricky, and he's not trying to be dualistic. God plainly tells humanity what they should and shouldn't do. If you could just go to our next slide. So first of all, when we hear about these two prominent trees in the garden, out of the ground the Lord made to grow every tree that is pleasant Um, to the site and good for food, and the tree of life, and also in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what's very clear in that is the names that they were given. This is the tree of life. You eat this tree and live forever. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat this tree, you will die. 
There is no trickiness going on here of let me just throw these trees out there in the midst of all the other trees and see who's lucky and who is unlucky. It becomes incredibly clear that God says, do this and you will live and do this and you will die. If we can go to our next slide. The other thing that we know is that when the serpent um, crawls in, We've just seen God who creates the heaven and the earth. And now who is it who's going to do the tempting? It is the lowest of the creatures. It is the snake who slithers in on his own belly. God has that must just stain. This is the way that Satan is described. And this lowly serpent begins to question the creator. And he begins to ask humanity, oh, come on. You're really going to believe what God told you? And it becomes very clear in the story, who should we be listening to? The creator of everything or a lying, slithering snake? And in the story, you're thinking, oh, come on, of course that's not the one that you should listen to. But we're told the the pride that was found inside of us, the same pride that was found inside of Satan when we were told, oh, we can become our own gods. We don't have to listen to what the God said. We can do what we want to do. It was that temptation that led us into sin. It was our fault. It was not God's fault. We can just go to our next slide. Um, We just finished going through the book of Numbers, and the, the last of the five books in this series, Deuteronomy, at the very end, Moses stands there before the people of Israel having outlined the whole issue of where sin came from and everything that happens in Genesis. He reminds them of everything that God has done, and he gives them the laws and the Ten Commandments and all of these things. And then he says to them, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. In other words, the same choice that was made Back in Genesis, God puts it before his people again. I'm telling you how to live. Live in the way that chooses life and not in the way that chooses death. The New Testament does something very similar. If we can just go to our next slide. The Bible says, and this is condemnation, that light has come into the world and that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It is our fault that we have sinned. It is not God's fault. So finally, what has God done about this? We can just go to our next slide. We're told that because of our sin, we are dead in our sins, and we are helpless, and we are under Satan's power. However, next slide, please. When Jesus comes into the world, at one stage, he portrays himself in a funny way. He portrays himself as the one who comes to break into Satan's house, or in other words, break into the prison where he has held us captive and to set the prisoners free. How can anyone enter a strong man's house, meaning Satan, and carry off his possessions, meaning us, unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can come to rob his house. When Jesus enters in the world, he it strangely portrays himself as someone who's come to break into Satan's domain and to take back what once belonged to him. Next slide, please. 
is Jesus, one sends out his disciples into the world and he says to them, proclaim the good news and heal the sick and drive out demons. They come back and they say, um, he appointed the 72 and, um, and sent them out two by two ahead of him in town, um, each town and place. And they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, he's predicting not just the earlier fall, but Satan's final fall. In other words, I've come in here, and now is the beginning of the end for Satan. Next slide. So finally, when Jesus is nailed to a cross and Satan thinks that he has finally defeated Jesus, What's really happening is when the sun goes dark in the middle of the day, Jesus is taking on the darkness. When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's remembering Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden, away from God's presence. He is taking on evil and darkness face first. But then he cries out, it is finished. I've completed it. I've done it. Jesus was, is portrayed in Romans as the serpent crusher who has finally crushed Satan's head. Which brings us to our final slide, or one of our final slides. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Through Christ's death and resurrection, he has rescued us and taken us out of Satan's prison and domain rescued us from death, and brought us into the kingdom of light. How do we access this great forgiveness? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to have some time of um, question and answers now, but I just want to let you know that um, what we'll do is we'll have uh, five minutes of Q&A. And then I'm going to allow us some, about five minutes of some quiet confession because I think sometimes we forget how important confession is in the Christian faith. We don't just say, well, we're good now. We need to continue to admit our fallenness and confess our sins and, and receive forgiveness through Christ. So we'll, um, we'll do that after our song of reflection. But I'm going to hand it over to Lawrence now.